Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 222. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lend at Fintech conference. Today's episode is sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging and Lendit Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lendit Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com USA to register. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Jamie Warder. He is the head of digital at KeyBank. Now, KeyBank is a super regional. Most people know about them. They're actually one of the largest super regionals in the country. And they've been making a lot of waves in the fintech space, doing some M&A and uh, wanted to get Jamie on the show to talk about all this. And we firstly, you know, he gives us some background, obviously, uh, talks about exactly what the head of digital does, what they're responsible for, talk about their approach to M&A. We do a deep dive into two of the M&A deals they've done over the last year or so. We talk uh, a lot about uh, financial wellness and how that's a really big priority for KeyBank. And uh, we talk about speed and user experience and what their approach to really incorporating a lot of the, the expertise and knowledge that these fintechs have into the bank. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Peter, thanks for having me. I look forward to our discussion today. Me too. Okay, so let's get started. Uh, I like to kick these things off with uh, giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. I mean, you've you've been a banker, it seems, for uh, for quite some time, for most of your career, it looks like. Why don't you give us give us some of the highlights of what you've done to date? Sure. Well, e- even before banking, I actually got started as an officer in the United States military. So I spent five years as an army officer. And it's funny how often uh, my, my army days end up uh, shaping who I am these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after a little bit of time in the army, a little bit of business school and a little bit of strategic consulting, where I ended up doing a lot of healthcare as opposed to financial services, I did move into banking, I guess it's been about 15 years ago, and have had the opportunity to just serve in a variety of roles and serve a variety of great institutions, National City, PNC, Capital One, USAA, KeyBank, and currently here at KeyBank. My my experience has been in most aspects of banking, so you know, general P&L most recently over the last half decade or so, but before that channel and product roles along the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so then why don't you, um, I mean, I think everyone here will probably have heard of KeyBank, but may, some may not know a lot about the bank. So why don't you just give us, just give us a little bit of just headline background, you know, how old is the bank, where you operate, that sort of thing. Sure, so Key is about a 150 year old super regional. Um, like many super regionals, we've grown up over the years through both organic growth and acquisition. Our footprint is an interesting one. It, uh, it runs, I like to say across the north, although it's a little broader than that, but it, uh, five time zones from Alaska all the way to Portland, Maine. I like it because we have some very robust, mature markets like 
you know, Albany and Buffalo and Pittsburgh and Chicago. We also have some hyper growth markets like Seattle and Portland and Salt Lake and Denver and Boulder. So uh, it's a really neat mixture of, you know, of, of those hyper growth markets, but also some strong, robust markets. These days, it is about 13th in almost any measure you look at. So uh, whether it's, you know, assets or deposits, um, we serve everything from consumers to small businesses, middle market, uh, up to institutions, uh, large institutions, Fortune 100 institutions. So uh, the full gamut, and we do everything, everything from a payments, lending, deposits, capital markets perspective for those different customer bases, Peter. Sure. And so then you, your official title is head of digital at KeyBank. And I believe this was, this is a new position and you moved into that, I think, from the business banking area. But why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you mean when, when you say head of digital? Yeah. So you're right, Peter. This is a new role for Key. So the head of digital, uh, as we reorganized uh, recently, six or seven months ago, we thought there was a need to really bring together our digital capabilities from across the enterprise, start to think about those holistically and, again, from an enterprise perspective, everything from uh, servicing through originations from our consumer clients through our middle market all the way to our institutional clients, but really think of those things holistically. And I like to say uh, there's kind of two spectrums in, in digital. You know, one spectrum would say, well, digital is anytime you're using software or data to enable the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that's everything and everywhere. Exactly. So that's a super <laughs> liberal uh, version of what digital is. There's also a very, very narrow definition of what digital is, which says, well, mobile browser tablet for servicing and origination. And as we thought about this role, we really thought about it somewhere in between. It's almost thinking about where strategically is it most important for us to think about how we bring software and data to enable the business. But there is a heavy emphasis on those areas where our clients or our colleagues who are working with clients are kind of working with digital capabilities. So, you know, I, I see it as my job uh, and and uh, my team's job to really think about, you know, where are the where are the leverage points for digital and how do we influence those important leverage points for key. Okay, so that would be. I mean, that's there's still quite a bit in play there. I mean, you you came from the from the, the business banking side of things. So does this is this include you know small business? Does it include you know consumer? You're talking about the mobile app. You know, talk about Zelle, those sorts of things. I mean, what does well maybe what does it exclude? I guess it might be more important yeah. what it, what it includes. Yeah, no, it, it includes all of those things. So we really think about all of our different client types and Key proudly serves, you know, 3 million consumers, but we proudly also serve 250,000 small and medium businesses and a, a number of really large institutional. So it includes all of those client types. It includes, you know, when they're servicing their accounts. So if they're logging in and authenticating and they want to do things like, you know, check their positions or move money or, uh, you know, take maintenance on their account. It includes things like you said, money movement. So the bill pays and the Zells and all of those things. 
what it doesn't include, the one thing that uh, we don't include in the organization formally, but I would tell you we have a very, very strong partnership, would be our unauthenticated, so the, you know, key.com and some of our unauthenticated. We just think that there's a better a better synergy with marketing there. So we work very closely with marketing, but they mm-hmm. run those unauthenticated channels. But generally, if you are logging in, and we have a lot of influence because we're sharing the underlying services on those systems that our colleagues use and those colleagues who are direct client-facing. So if you think about it, our branch colleagues and the technologies that they use, our relationship managers and business service and sales officers, and the, and the technologies that they use. Right, right. Okay. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how technology has kind of, you know, shaped your your thinking because, I mean, you, you've been around banking, you said, for almost 15 years. So, and, you know, fintech wasn't really a thing 15 years ago. That term didn't exist. It's now it's now used with abandon today and considered a, uh, you know, like a, a, a sort of an all-encompassing term for the technology's impact on finance. But, I, I'm curious, sort of, you know, when you look at um, like the fintech players, which are those players that are sort of natively digital, natively online, you know, how do you kind of feel? How do you how do you sort of think about those those players and what and what's the impact it's had on on a bank like KeyBank? Yeah, no, it's a it, it's a great and important question, and you know. I actually think if we go all the way back and probably back before my time in banking, Peter, you know, digital found some of its early roots in banking. You know, I think I think if you go back to, to some early use cases, you were probably talking about the travel industry where, you know, people could begin to book, you know, hotels and, and airfare online. But a very close follower to that was the ability to see your accounts online. Mm-hmm. Bill pay came along. So I, I think some of those early use cases of digital, we didn't call it digital back then, but those were early use cases of using um, the internet for, for things that people could do every single day. I think, you know, there was probably, and this is my take on the whole thing, there was probably a 15-year lull or so where, you know, those were some of the killer apps, bill pay and online banking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point, maybe, I, I don't know what the exact timeline would be, but five or 10 years ago, probably starting with, with PayPal, I think there was this next revolution of, and next evolution of, of fintechs. And, and I think it became easier to start putting things together. We started to see fintech players really focus on a particular area, be it in payments or deposits or investing or lending. And they did it, I would say, the right way. They thought from customers back. They designed from an experience perspective. Uh, they picked you know, these, these slivers of capability and did them extremely well. Um, they did them thinking digital first, not necessarily branch or call center first. And as you and I know, you know, in the last decade, we've just seen an enormous number of those really shape and change the industry. So Mm -hmm. I like to say fintech, although it's new, I think it's actually resurgent. I I think it, um, you know, it's been around for a long time. I think we can learn a lot from the fintechs. You know, I think they teach us things like build with design in mind. I think they teach us things like, 
work backwards from the experience, make it easy, make it fast, make it transparent. Like mm-hmm. all of these things I think are in the digital native DNA. And, you know, I think banks are, are reminding themselves of those things that they probably thought about 20 or 30 or 40 years ago in an analog version in their, in their physical footprints or their contact center footprints. You know, I, I think our digital uh, fintechs are thinking about those truly in a, in a digital way. Right, right. That makes sense. So, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about M and A. And it's, it's it, you guys have been, uh, I would say, moderately active in that uh, in that space. There's a couple of acquisitions that I, I want to sort of dig into here. But before that, let's. I mean, do you have like a an M and A strategy that the bank kind of adheres to when you're particularly? I'm mainly talking about you know obviously fintech M and A. Is there something yeah. that, that you have sort of a a real kind of um, overall strategy, and then we can dig into some of the acquisitions you've actually made? Sure. So even before M and A, I actually I'd like to talk about three areas in fintech broadly, and it's really the way we think about it here, Peter, along this spectrum. And we have good examples of each. So, you know, first and probably the most common is where we just partner with fintechs. So, you know, one is Zelle, and I guess we can call Zelle a fintech at this point. But, you know, we we don't we didn't acquire Zelle. We don't have an equity partnership in Zelle, but we partner with them because they have a great capability that gives our customers, you know, something that they want and need. And we partnered with them as a way you know, to bring fintechs to our customers. So on, on, on one end of the spectrum is just good old fashioned partnership, you know, supplier, vendor relationships. If you move over on the spectrum and something that we do quite often, as a matter of fact, we have an entire team that's constantly evaluating these and finding the opportunities, but we'll actually invest in fintech. So you know, they'll continue to be independent, but we'll invest equity in them. We find this to be a great way to help them shape their roadmaps and help, you know, really make sure that there's good synergy. We can usually help them with a client base and distribution, and they can help us by pushing our thinking on, you know, great design and great capabilities. So we've recently, over the last couple of years, we have, you know, a half dozen examples. Snapsheet, who, yeah, has a great insurance product for some of our insurance clients. Instamed, which helps some of our providers, doctors, dentists, you know, ambulatory clinics with with billing. Uh, we partnered with those two fintechs and invested in them. And then finally, as you mentioned, the M&A, and we certainly have some of those examples. You'll have read about Hello Wallet, uh, Bolster, and most recently, Lower Road. But, but we do that as well, all-out acquisition. So we are constantly searching, and, and all in the name of bringing our customers the best capabilities and the best products out there, we're searching with who can we partner with, who can we invest in, and uh, in cases, where can we acquire outright. Right, right. Okay, so, so let's dig into that latter one you mentioned, their lower road. Uh, I think many listeners will, will know that name. I had, we had Gary Lieberman on the show a couple of years ago, and who's a, he was the founder and CEO. And, um, yeah. I, I'm not nearly as articulate uh, or thoughtful <laughs> as Gary. Let's just put it on the record. Okay. I don't know about that. Anyway, um, right. so maybe – First, I mean, Laurel Road obviously focused on student lo- student loan refinancing. They have a very they became one of the major players in the in the nation on in that space. But what was it that that, that attracted you to the company initially? Yeah, well, you mentioned one, which is 
Moore Road, just a terrific company. And it, as we looked at them, we saw uh, one, a digital first company that had created a very nice consumer lending platform. As you mentioned, you know, the third or fourth largest graduate loan refinance program, student lending refinance in general. So we saw one as a source of just high quality consumer loans done the right way, done with credit in mind uh, and, and making sure we're, you know, uh, originating, you know, very credit worthy customers an experience, you know, that has Disney-like uh, net promoter score. So just a really terrific experience. Uh, so we liked one, the consumer lending growth. They also have built over the last several years, just really good digital capabilities, not just around student loan, but also around mortgage and real estate lending. And we saw that as, a, as an opportunity to use some of their technology and design uh, and be able to import that into our large and growing, you know, mortgage and home equity business. So we certainly like the the the, the lending, you know, the core business that Lower Road is bringing along. We like the technology around real estate lending. But third, and and you know, we're still figuring out exactly what uh, and how we'll how we'll use this going forward. But what Lower Road really represents is thousands of customers who come and use Laurel Road are very satisfied with the experience and, you know, are, are millennials. They are generally on the more affluent uh, side because uh, a, a good portion of them are graduates and have, have graduated from graduate programs rather. So we really like the fact that it's also a source of household, household growth for key. And we need to figure out, is there a way for us to really, you know, can those customers do more? Do those customers want to do more with us? So just to summarize, you know, a great lending business, some terrific technology that we think is leverageable, and, and then finally, a set of clients who we're introducing uh, to KeyBank, and we think we can do more with given some of the services that Key has. Right, right. So then I'm curious that, you know, like it, I know it's only been a few, like about six months, I think, since the acquisition closed. So it's not that much time. And and, and you go to lowerroad.com today, and you can it, it's it's the same experience or similar experience to what it was a year ago. So that you haven't Key hasn't taken over the brand, and you do make it clear that this is a, a brand of of KeyBank. Is sure. is is the plan to keep this as a as a standalone brand or eventually fold it in and have, this will be a key bank student loan refinance. Yeah, we, we really like the brand that Laura Road has created and they've created a brand specifically with the healthcare industry through partnerships with, you know, some of the largest healthcare associations. Mm -hmm. So we really like the Laura Road brand. And for that reason, we want to build on that brand. And right now there are no, I mean, never say never, but right now there are no plans for us to, you know, change the Laura Road brand. We will leave it as an independent brand. We'll think about how we grow and expand the capabilities of that brand. Um, we're not going to hide, like you said, Peter, that, uh, you know, Laurel Road is a division of KeyBank. It is. And, you know, if you're deep into your statements, you're going to see KeyBank written all, all over them. 
but uh, right now plan is for Laurel Road to uh, continue to be an independent brand. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So let's maybe talk about one more that you've done and that's um, Bolster, which is, uh, you know, Bolster may not be quite as well known, but you know, they were a small business lending platform. And I think this was done, it might've been done, um, was, I think it was done last year from memory. So that's t- right. Tell us a little bit about, about that acquisition and how, uh, firstly, you know, what attracted you and what, uh, how you're kind of using you know, that kind of intellectual property and brand that you that you acquired there? Yeah. So Bolster had, as you mentioned, some really unique capabilities around small business lending. And, you know, the ability for a small and medium enterprise to go through an application process, know exactly where they are in that application process, you know, be able to to submit documents, uh, pull from external data, e-sign, you know, all of those capabilities, fast, easy, again, in true fintech form. We really like the technology, and it was an area to us that filled the gap, not only for the small business experience, but also some of the underlying services that we think we that we think and are leveraging more broadly for other kind of commercial banking applications. So, This one was a little more, uh, we didn't keep the bolster brand in this case. It was a little more of a technology and talent opportunity for us. And and we have integrated that in. We have pilots out in market today. So clients are able to do a a small business loan at their place of business in 15 or 20 minutes. You know, we're getting approvals done within uh, the day. We're getting funded loans within days. So, again, all in the journey to make things faster, easier, and more customer-centric, we saw Bolster as a way to accelerate us on that front in the small business space. Right, right. Okay. So then, so you've, you, you've, you've weaved it in. Is this, is this going with your SBA loans, or is this just sort of more of the, the other kinds of loans you do? Conventional. Yep. It, it, this is both. So um, one of the things we really liked about Bolster was the ability for us to you know, customize the flow of the application based on what we were learning about you. So as the borrower is providing more information, we can then customize the flow. And if it makes sense that the customer may want to consider an SBA loan, then, we, you know, we can we can start to present those options in app. But if they tell us something like, hey, I'm a nonprofit, we know we can't do SBA loans for nonprofit, then we can send them down the conventional path but building that logic and building kind of the brain and advice of a relationship manager or a you know a good branch associate into the technology was important to us. So it's it's not just capturing information, but it's actually providing you know advice and insight along the way. And Bolster done a nice job in kind of building that into their product and and we're carrying that forward for our for our customers here at Key. Right, right, okay. So then going forward, I mean. I'm curious to get your take on, you know, the, the super regionals like yourself. You know, do you think that this is going to be a big driver of M&A in fintech? Um, I know you can't speak for other, other banks, but I'm just curious about, you know, are we going to, you know, are we going to, are we going to see a flurry of activity over the next uh, couple of years? What's your take? My take is what we've been seeing over the last several years, which is banks partnering so I think about, you know, Chase, although and I don't want to talk about other banks, but, you know, Chase just 
they got started in their small business lending through a great partnership with On Deck. Yep. We can look at where there's been acquisitions. We just talked about a couple of key, but you know from reading the papers, these are happening literally every day. And I do think that middle category we talked about, which is you know equity investments to help drive the, the roadmap. I don't see that slowing down. As a matter of fact, in a world where our customers are telling us they want to do more with us digitally, matched with a world where fintechs are thinking about how do we do you know, the things that we do every day better, faster, more digitally, I think those are natural marriages, Peter. So I don't expect it to slow down. If anything, I expect it to speed up. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting to me to see too that the, you, know, you talk about the equity investments and when you see these deals, and there's been a lot of deals um, this year, some large deals, in fact, so often there is a bank that's that's part. They might not be leading the deal, but they're but they're involved. And you know, it, it seems to me that banks are becoming really big suppliers of of capital for for a lot of these fintech firms, which I think is super interesting. Indeed, I, I think they see it as a part of how do they evolve, how do they accelerate, how do they, you know, quickly get capabilities that would take them a lot longer to build uh, in the house, and I. I I think we're all becoming comfortable with that. You know, I think that the regulators are becoming more comfortable with that and, and getting experience on how these type of partnerships work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. And then, you know, so I, I'm particularly curious about the, you know, you've, you, you talked a few times here about the, the technology, you're like the hiring of the technology expertise. And, you know, one of the things that, that sets these online lenders apart is the speed that they've been able to, you know, the speed of approvals, the speed of the application process itself. And you said you got, you know, you got the small business process down to 15 or 20 minutes, which I think is great. But is that, I'm just, what I'm really getting at is, is the, is the sort of the, the focus on speed really permeating throughout the bank because i mean the, the millennials they don't want to sit around and and wait they, they get very uh very impatient with uh with any sort of slow process but so just maybe you could talk a little bit about about the the speed aspect yeah i well this is just something that i think again the 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 fintechs have probably really figured out and as they're designing experiences and they're talking to customers about the experience that customers are looking for, you're right. Customers, you and I and all of our friends and family, you know, they don't want to spend a lot of time doing this stuff. They, they want it to be fast. They want it to be easy. More and more, they want it to be done on their phone and they can decide where they want to do it. So I think, you know, as these fintechs have been designing their solutions and products, they've been thinking, they've really been thinking, uh, how do we make it fast, transparent, and easy. And that's just part of the principles and priorities that they put into their design. And, you know, by doing that, I think they're teaching us banks how important it is to do. And you might say, well, gosh, the banks can, the the banks should, you know, do the same thing. In one, in one way, I think the fintechs have an advantage because they're typically picking certain use cases. So they're not trying to solve every use case. They're picking a narrow use case. They're getting very good at that narrow use case and and designing it, you know, uh, in in a digital first way. So 
I think it's important. I think they're teaching us that. And I think more and more speed has to be a design principle that we're all thinking about. Right, right. Okay. One other thing that um, we're almost out of time, but a couple of things I want to really get to. I want to talk about financial wellness. You, you mentioned Hello Wallet before. And it, it feels, you know, if you, you've got a, you guys have an entire financial wellness section of your website. Um, yeah. and, uh, I wanted, I mean, that's something that I'm personally pretty, pretty passionate about how we, we need to doing more to really to help, you know, the, the masses of the population that, that, that are not doing all that well financially. And to maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the, the approach, you know, what's sort of driving the, you know, from the digital perspective, what's, what's, what's driving kind of the financial wellness movement at key? Yeah, no. Well, important to know financial wellness is at the absolute core of our strategy. And I'm certainly not uh, sharing any secrets. As you said, it's, it's on our website. We talk about it. We're proud to talk about it. And what do we mean by financial wellness? We want to help you understand your current position and how financially well are you. And then we really want to be able to help you become more financially well. And that could be, you know, that could be across the spectrum. So it could be, you know, someone who's struggling. It could be that individual who is saving for their retirement nest egg. It could be the small business who's trying to figure out how to, you know, finance the next piece of equipment. So, this concept of we want to help you understand how you're doing, but then also give you hints and advice and feedback on how to become more financially well. And we want to do that across the board. Uh, we want to do that if you stop in and have a, a wellness review with one of our bankers. But we also, if you're not going to do that, if you're going to be at home, we want to be able to do that digitally as well and just leave it up to our customers. So in every touch point, we are looking for ways, Peter, where we can help clients understand their position and help them do better. So Hello Wallet, if you think about what Hello Wallet was doing, it allowed you to aggregate all your accounts, whether they were with key or not. It provided a financial wellness score, which gave you a good indication of how are you doing versus others like you. It gave hints and tips and nudges around spending and saving and things that we thought could make you more financially well. Those are the things we're integrating into all of our digital capabilities. Those are the things that are integrated into, you know, all of our human touch points as, you know, if you're talking to someone from KeyBank, they're going to be talking to you about your financial wellness. So starts with strategy, translates then to both our digital and non-digital properties, and is all around kind of a higher mission of helping our clients do better financially. Right, right. Now, that, that's, I think that's super important because, you know, everyone has a banking, well, not everyone, most people have a banking relationship. And it's, if you can't, if you're not getting them there, it's, you know, it's just, I feel like that's the, that's the touch point that really where they need to be, that, that, you know, people need to be able to get the information and the education about how to improve their financial lives. So that's, that's great. But um, anyway, Last last question. Just curious about what you're working on now. What's coming down the track? I I know you can't. You're a public company. You can't. You can't tell, tell me any secrets. Uh, but what's what what what's coming down the track uh, for you guys? No, you know this isn't going to. I'm not giving away any secrets. Ninety one percent of our interactions with clients are happening digitally these days. We want to make that experience great for them. So. Just giving our clients the ability to do more on their phone, to do more at their you know mobile browser tablet, 
we want to make it easy and fast for clients to do more business if they want to, you know, grow their relationship with Key. We want to make that easy and fast. So we're really thinking about all of our products and originations again across consumer, small to medium enterprise, and the in, in the largest institutions. And then finally, as we talked about, we're really looking for those ways to embed financial wellness through our capabilities and products. If a client doesn't happen to interact with us, you know, in a face-to-face, we want to be able to still provide them financial wellness digitally. So as I think about those different areas, as I think about, you know, a great servicing experience when our clients need to service their existing banking relationship, when I think about the originations experience and them wanting to do more business with us and, and make it easy for them to do so, and then just embed embedding financial wellness uh, across the board. I think those are our priorities. Uh, you know, you find those in all of our public statements, and it really is what we're spending our time and focus on. Okay, that's, uh, that sounds great. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Jamie. Hey, thank you very much, Peter, and uh, thanks all for listening. Okay, see ya. You know, I think banks like Key are going to play a bigger and bigger role in the future of fintech. You know, we've already seen them do some pretty significant acquisitions. They're clearly not finished. And obviously, there's new fintech companies being started all the time. There's also more that are, that are getting rapid scale. And, you know, I think you're going to see these banks that are going to, they're going to jump in and being able to bring their resources to bear on uh, taking sort of the, all the best practices and the, and the positives and the good, the, the, all the good that Jamie talked about in the interview, what fintech does that, that really, really well and bringing them into the bank and having them become really part of the bank DNA. Because that's really, I think, what we're getting at here is that banks haven't been known for their speed, for their user experience. And I think bankers like Jamie are very, very clear about that and wanting to change that narrative. And I think it's going to be interesting where, I mean, I think we already are seeing it happen. And I think it's only going to become more so where banks and are going to behave uh, much more like fintechs going forward. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging and Lendit Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lendit Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com slash USA to register.